now dumb for having listened to Welcome back to the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast, episode number 30, the two steps forward, one step back edition of the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast. Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast is two blokes who've known each other for 30 odd years, who get together most days uh, for lunch to catch up and talk everything, the Essendon Football Club. Uh, my name is Grant Hill and with me is Scott McNeese. Hello everyone. Scotty, uh, by the way, mate, just um, really good job on the new uh, on the new intro music, the new Bombers intro music. Well done on that. Thank you. Uh, I actually learned how to do it myself. Nice work. So uh, we used to have a friend who uh, who did the, uh, the a little bit of the sound help for us, but uh, I've been actually educating myself nice. on how to do tech, technical audio stuff. And this wildly professional podcast of ours. Uh, so, look, I, I think this is the game that everybody was kind of waiting to happen. Um, we've we've been up for two straight games, and that was officially a down game. Yeah, exactly. I look. I must admit, I didn't tip us to win. No, and, no, no. Neither and, do I. No, neither even do I. with our form, I was not against. Richmond. I was really concerned about. Just I could tell Richmond was going to be really up for the game, and um, and it just came across that they were going to hit us very hard. And I really felt the games I've watched. Richmond that their systems and their pressure is elite and this was the first time I genuinely thought we were going to go up against that kind of pressure. I felt like Geelong and GWS a little bit off their game as far as pressure so it was always going to be interesting to me. I didn't totally not give us a chance but I just thought Richmond rightly went in favourites and they came out exactly how they thought how I thought they would come out in the first quarter and tried to blow us out of the water. Um, and it kind of worked a little bit. It kind of worked a little bit. And we respectfully really tried to fight back. Um, but, gee, there's a lot of things to talk about in this game. And I've got one thing to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I guess, man, the, this is the thing. is that we, When we were at the game, you said to me that Richmond look drilled. They look incredibly well drilled. They know exactly what they need to be doing. They know exactly where they're, they're supposed to be playing. And Essendon just fell back into the same problem they've had at the start of the year with these forwards standing around the middle. And when you're coming out of half-back, players are getting possessions across half-back, looking up and just literally bombing it down Alex Rance's throat. And it's just, it's amazing considering the stats that we're both looking at right now. And, I mean, we've... Go for it, Scotty. What, I mean, we... Yeah, well, I mean, we've pretty much smashed them in clearances. We've smashed them at the stoppages. We've won contested possessions. We've won the tackle count. We've smashed them in the hitouts. Uh, we've even won the free kicks. And people might be surprised at uh, that. To, to know that. So, if you have a midfield that's at least getting you that kind of service... Why are the forwards so high up the ground? Now, that's the interesting part, right? You said to me, and I heard it today as well, that Wusher came out when he was asked that very question and said, because a lack of confidence in the midfield from the forwards to win the ball, right? So I, I frankly don't understand where that's coming from, where we, like you said, the disposals we won, uh, clearances, we absolutely smashed them by like 14 clearances. Um, stoppages. We hammered them in stoppages by 14 uh, stoppages. So the midfield was, did their job. 
they did their job. Jakey Stringer popped up and just had his best game for the club. Um, the tackles we won, we hitouts we won, everything we we won the entire midfield. So yeah. what not confidence does the forwards have? If they had, well, potentially because they've done it in the previous two games. If they had stayed in their half or in their fifty. The midfield might have been able to have some room to run and actually be able to kick the ball from all of the the clearances that we won and all of the the, um, the general disposals that we won. Yeah, exactly. Uh, look, I, I always felt their midfield was still working quite well as far as Richmond, as far as their setup and their structures. I thought they played us to our weakness perfectly, to be honest, and we just could not structurally set up well all game and, and I was just telling you even before the podcast uh, I saw Heppel um, coming off uh, the bench so he's been rotated on he's obviously just come off speaking to the coach he's yelling at McKernan and Stewart to get back they've run about six to eight meters back and I just don't get the me- I get the feeling that that message was to run six to eight meters back no, it was to run 40 meters no, back it wasn't and look I spoke of Jake Stringer after the game on Twitter and, and how I found that a positive. And, and rightfully so, people came back to me and said, look, he's only had 48% um, efficiency with the ball. I will challenge that, though, because how many times has Stringer come out of a pack and he's had literally no one to kick to? And, and that's that's my frustration. We were set up so horrifically at that game. And look... It's now happened so many times. Like, that's a big effect on the game, that forward line breaking down the rules. And you can't... I still don't get it. Like, we've said this before. How can the coach after the game say that's not what we want to do? That's not how they're meant to be set up? I mean, honestly, I don't care anymore how Stuart and McKernan's going. If they're going to disobey the coach, drop them. They, They might be threatening. They might be great. But if it actually affects the whole structure of the team... And that's what I'm talking about. It, it, it leads to losses. Yeah. Send like, a message. Say, actually, forwards, you're going to obey my instructions. Like, you're not going up the ground. If you are, you're not playing next week. Yeah. Because it, it, it can't possibly be. And no one no one in the media is sitting there looking at Wusher going, oh, Wusher can't set up. Wusher tactically isn't doing the right thing. The last two games are absolutely clear evidence that when... I mean, we, we did the majority of that game without Zaharakis as well, but in every um, statistic with regards to the midfield, we hammered Richmond. Now, if we had have had people to look up to, it must be really, really disorientating and really scary. For, like you said, yeah. someone like Jakey Stringer and his 16 contested possessions out of the middle to look up or to turn around and, and or maybe even he gets, okay, he gets the handball out of the pack that's his contested possession. He gets a handball out of the pack. And then the next player who turns to the right or turns to the left looks up. Yeah. And he's got no he can't see anybody down the ground. He can't see the person streaming through the middle to make that aggressive kick towards the middle. And then the guy down the middle is looking for the forward line. It's they look up, they see nothing, and then they know they're about to yep. get crunched. So they just bomb it on a boot. And Rance is too bloody good for that. Apart from a dirty stager, I mean, he's too good to. He, that's just. Oh, he'll, ha- he'll happily sit off his opponent thirty meters if he's easily. Yeah. He doesn't. He I mean, he's very happy to have Stewart and McKernan ninety meters up the ground. That's just insane, man. <laughs> They're not kicking goals. No, but look, there is a secondary issue to this, and that is our half back line, also not helping the team. Uh, and I'm talking about 
guys like Hurley and 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 even to some point even Matty Day. Um, I'm not sure Goddard is though Goddard had a few blunders this week, but that half back line also has got to get better at being more aggressive with the ball because what's happening too is they're going sideways, so then our forwards are also coming up thinking they're really trying to help have bodies around the wing to have an option to kick to. So then everything everything cascades Absolutely. into a... So I'm also a little bit putting on that half-back line to say, stop kicking it sideways. Uh, mate, but I... I no, I, there I, was examples on Channel 9, and it was really good. Like They, they went through it right the... Through just so many examples of a half back line, but did they did show they, you? Did they show yeah, the options they, forward? They, they did show up the okay, ground. So if that's the case, then but they I mean, had did, like Sard and they had actually options like thirty meters up the forward, actually all alone, and we've kicked thirty meters left to right. Yeah, we've missed that. It's probably that gun shyness. Like yeah, they're, we, they're, we we went back to our shell. We went back into our shell and made gun shy. I mean, for for all those that like Brendan Goddard or don't like Brendan Goddard, the man's right boot and left boot, for that fact, is elite. Right now, him coming off the back line, he's playing out of there for a reason because he's he's got a veteran head. He makes good decisions, and okay, every now and then his his foot lets him down. But nobody is a perfect kicker for football. But I just think that the the back line gets under so much pressure. Adam Saad gets a heap of possessions. Brendan Goddard's under constant pressure because the ball bounces in. Yeah, Un- unopposed. It's just Al- Rance takes the mark on the other side of the center circle. Oh, there, yeah. Has ten minutes to to stop, look, and kick to advantage, and that hurts defenders every single oh, time. One, one thing was certain: the Richmond went in waves. Like, we're, we're, we're saying at the game, it's like there was four guys running. Just it was almost like a rugby scrum coming down towards the. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's just like four guys left to right. But you get that fired up. You get that extra. Yeah. Um, you get the extra level of fitness when you can see the opposition just doesn't know what to do with the ball, and Richmond are good enough yeah. um, to put a foot on a throat. Yeah. Um, put a foot on a throat. So it's 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 a dead set worry that we can drop back into the old nasty way of playing. I th- and I think that was a really result of the first ten minutes because there's no doubt Richmond in that first ten minutes hit everything they have. Oh yeah. So I think we just had a little bit of a perceived pressure, almost not panic attack, but but like that sudden like oh my goodness they're, yeah. they're the ones in our face we're not the ones they're in doing their face. it to us they're doing it to us ah. we didn't cope well with it we tried to fight back um, and then that second quarter there was some <coughs> I mean in all seriousness I know we lost the game by 71 and but there was some key moments in that second quarter uh, and, and we'll talk about a, an umpiring decision that I, I don't should understand. never be. Should, I, I don't yeah. understand that nowadays, yeah. man. That people people say about um, AFL footballers and how kicking hasn't improved and goal kicking and that sort of stuff hasn't improved. I, honest to goodness, don't understand how after this long, umpires. But who were the umpires? Was, was it Razor or who was who was umpiring? Oh, I must admit, I don't. Who know, knows? But... Who cares? But um, they can make really bad mistakes, like and that's a critical could. That's a critical decision. Absolutely. It was like, yeah. I saw on the, the news, they were saying it's like a 12-point turnaround or something. Mm. And Goddard with Dusty, Rance yeah. with McKernan. It's just, they're so obvious. Yeah. And look, that that obviously, that, that obviously with the Stringer uh, missed goal, and then it, 30 seconds later, Richmond had run the whole field on a wave um, and kicked a goal. There was just key moments where you could tell we went into halftime and just dropped our heads. Yep, and that first ten minutes of the third quarter was was less than a month ago. Like we picked it up straight away. I went, I went, I just went, 
I, I think I went to you like, oh no. Yeah. I, I know. I know this Essendon. Exactly. Right. That came out of, out of half time uh, and the game was over really in, in 10 minutes. Yeah. So, um, but there was a glimpse there in the second quarter. Yeah. There was a genuinely a good fight back. And I mean, I'd love if Stringer kicked that goal. Would have been, yeah. it would have been a goal of difference. Yep, it would have been game on. Um, but the totally opposite happened. It was like almost like three minutes later, they kicked eighteen points, yep. and and the game had a whole serious turn to it. And again, I mean, the boys tried real hard. They they came out and started doing. I, I remember I said to you at the game, I said, "Oh, look out, look out, Richmond. We're doing exactly the same to you as you were doing us to us in the first quarter. Yep. We were hunting them, we were chasing yeah. them, we didn't give them time to breathe. They were kicking over their shoulders as opposed to us having to do it. But I just." I, the the seventy point margin for me is indicative of the ball coming in to Richmond's forward line at will, and it came in at yeah. will because Rance had all the time in the world and whoever the hell else they yeah. wanted to cross chuck across the middle of the ground, who could then look up and spot Jack running or spot yeah. Caddy running because it, it it's really hard for for defenders nowadays to stop the forwards when the ball is kicked to their advantage when they've got the time to yeah. kick it in there so. That that seventy point margin, I know it's it's real bad, and I know we dropped our heads, and it's not really good. But man, that that's a different game if we don't do this stupid forwards up around the middle thing. Yeah, and look, look the evidence. If I'm John Worsfold, I go to the forward line and say, look, you've gone up so high, but have a look how how many goals we kicked. We kicked six goals for the yeah, game, guys. That's, un, that's, that's not good. That's enough. your you know that's. That's your statement. That's why we need people back. Yeah. We were winning the stoppages and clearances just fine. If, 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 if we have to have a get out and just bomb at 50 metres just because of Richmond's sheer pressure, which was a reality. Yeah. And, and Stringer had to do that a lot of times. He just had the ball, but he was bouncing off and doing don't argues as best as yep. he could. But some at some point he had to quickly kick it. But if we had just had at least three or four guys up there, just to make contests, and that's the thing. It would have been different result. You you make those not contests. No, yeah. not all, I know what I mean. <laughs> you know, I know what you mean. Sorry. Um, who was I? Who was I listening to? I think it was Gary Lyon on the weekend or something like that. Where he was, I forget he was talking. I, I basically I don't remember anything about it. But what he was saying was, um, forwards nowadays, as an absolute minimum, need to make a contest. They just need mm. to crash a pack. They need to make sure the ball hits the ground. That's what I actually I remember what it was. He was referring to Bagley. Yeah, last week, where he was um, on a forward half forward flank, and he was against two players. He stuck his hand up in the yeah, air, yeah, yeah, yeah. blocked it behind him, and then tapped it up to Orazio, I think it was. Uh, Waller then Orazio. Waller, yeah. And um, he said, "That's that's it. The forwards just need to make that contest to let yeah. Orazio and Waller and Greeny and those guys when they come into the game rove the packs. Yeah. Be dangerous because if no wonder Waller and that's getting ten possessions because." They're trying to rove forwards that are in the middle of the ground. If you had Jimmy Stewart in the in the half forward line and you had McKernan in the in the fifty and you had Waller running around at his feet, it, it it's just standard football, man. Like yeah, you, I know. you get the players just roving and kicking goals, which is what Richmond did I know. to us. It, it, look, it's just frustrating going over old ground, and that's a little bit how that game was. Yeah. Um, look, positives. Positives and and look, I've actually got quite a few positives here. Good, and, and, and which might sound odd for that game. I the next day, I must admit, I calmed down quite fast because I, I mean, I had a look at the game again, and I still think we're getting there. Like I thought that was a bit of a you know, it's obviously a step back, um, but the second quarter they they did try and rectify um, what they're doing wrong. 
Um, and look, and it worked. Yeah, and it worked. And yeah. they got and they got to focus on that. And look, I, I even tweeted, um, I think yesterday. It, in reality, if we beat Brisbane this week, and we should, like I know people go, oh no, we're travelling interstate. Look, we've we played GWS interstate. Just, yep. And beat them. So there's no reason why we can't go to Brisbane. And we we should beat them. I was going to say, we it's, it's the, harder to go to if GWS. We, look, if we're, if we're serious, I mean, it's a final this week. Yep. But if you win that, and then the, then it's the halfway point, and we have a week's break, at least Worst Bowl can go to them. Okay, guys. Two months ago, we had the worst worst month of footy we've probably ever had in five years. Yep. Um, but since then, we've rectified some things. We've beaten Geelong. We've gone into state. GWS, and then we've gone into state Brisbane and won. So we we've done a few hoodoos. We've done two interstate. Yep. We've beaten two top eight quality teams. Um, yes, we lost to Richmond, but we've won three out of four. And and try and do it as a bit of a how would Sheedy would do. Think of the positive. How can we keep building? Like, and, and if we win, if we beat Brisbane in Brisbane, doing that same kind of good. Game plan that yeah. intense game plan and forwards in West Ball forwards are supposed to be and and people like Kale Hooker controlling the back line because he's got time because the people aren't streaming through the middle, then that's what I'm really looking for. I'm looking yep. for us to beat Brisbane with that same mentality again, not go back to this crap bloody forwards yep. up the ground thing. And I 100% agree to you. If we, yep. we've we've beat GWS at GWS, Brizzy at Brizzy, um, Geelong's a half decent side. We can take some things away from this. It's yeah, not going to be we, yeah. The, the disastrous season people think it was going to be. No. And obviously we're well behind the eight ball, but it's at least as a club, you've got something to build on. Like you've, and it'll be very interesting. Um, we might talk about it with Ron Connolly, which is coming up very, very yeah, soon. Yeah, we've got Ron Connolly on the show today. Just one thing I want to talk about is Jake Stringer's performance before we do that. That is by far the most positive out of the game. Yep. The reason I say that is he barely knows the midfield craft and his highest possession total was 23 prior to this game. He's played a midfield. He's ran out the game quite well. He's had 16 contested possessions. He's had 29 disposals. Bear in mind, I understand, I kind of ignore a little bit the disposal efficiency. I know that sounds funny because I know he's skilled. Under constant he, pressure. I know he's skillful enough that that won't happen yeah. all the time. It's almost how we talk about Heppel and Hurley. I know long term that's not going to... Yeah, this is not their form's not going to carry on. They're going to be stars again, and to me, it's just he actually was there where the ball was. He started to read the ball. He had a touch yeah. of the. Uh, if I hate to, we, I, I don't it, mind saying this, he looked a touch like Dusty. Well, he had nine clearances. Man, that's 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 really big. He, he looked for very us, untackleable yeah, for the Essendon Football Club. Sixteen contested possessions and nine clearances is. What we've been crying out for is a big body mid. Hard so, contested possessions. Really interesting. I'll go on to Ron soon. Really interesting how we go from here. Obviously, Saharakis is out for six weeks. Was it two weeks? No, it's gone upgraded to six now. Okay, six so weeks. So he's going to have surgery. So. Right then. Okay. Uh, so I'm not quite sure. <laughs> That's really rude. <laughs> I just realised what you're doing. He just realised it. <laughs> not uh, everybody's going to get that. That's okay. Uh, so. It'll be interesting to see who we've got in mind. Uh, and I'll be very interested to see if they maybe do a Francis and Ridley swap. Um, Ooh. Because I've just got that funny feeling they're going to be very tempted. 
So Francis is in the top three again in the VFL best and fair, best. Sorry, not best and fairest, but best ball best. Yeah, best. Best. On, best on uh, Ridley's by far had his quite quietest game, and I thought maybe looked a bit sore. Okay. So now that he's played his three games, I'm just now thinking, Ooh, is this the yeah, time? Yeah, no, good point. Is this the time? Good point. Because. Somewhere no, they're going to go. Francis is constantly in the top of two best players every game, and no one at Brisbane's really going to no. tear him to bits. Like he could, he could do yeah. really well against. Those and guys. even in that VFL game, like he's from. This is the reports I get um, that he kind of was half keeping us in it from half back, and we needed a goal, and they quickly in the last quarter switching to full forward. Marks goals. You know, that's the temptation that's the of Aaron. Ooh, that's geez, the temptation that's the of Aaron Francis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that he's not dead wood if he's not performing down back. Yeah, yeah. He can he can easily kick a goal and go forward. So I don't know. I was trying to think today of who would replace Saharakis, and a lot of people say Dylan Clark. I, I know I know who you should be, Scotty. I know who it should be. You ready, Mason Redman. Yeah, I think so. Mason Redmond. Bring the man in. Now, because I said Francis was in the top two, they gave Mason Redmond best on ground. And I rest my case. So, they've got to do something with him. I, I swear, <laughs> give that kid a go. Seriously, him give a go. him a go. Yeah. Him and, him and Langer, I mean, Langer's is He's not a small side. boy. This no. is his third year, third, so third or fourth year. And so, he's, he's yeah. getting possessions all through the mid in these games where he's performing yeah. really well. He's doing a lot of power work, so... I think it might be time. I, mean, I think it'll be a very interesting selection table. My feeling, though, is it'll be Myers and Zaharaka swap. That's just my gut feel. Uh, yeah, I suppose. I, I, I'm not going to say anything to that. I heard Travis Collier played pretty well. He played his first half a game. They yep. just put him in half a game. Good. I heard he looked quite good. Um, so I think in two or three weeks' time, they'll be tempted with him because of his pace. Because yeah. the thing with Zaharaka is you are going to miss a lot of run. Uh. That's why I don't think Dylan Clark is a total like-for-like. Clark is to me a, a, a Greg Williams under the ball handball, yeah. not really an outside. Much, us, much yeah. is in that as well. Yeah, so much is a little bit, but but he's missed a lot of footy. So yeah, true. He's he's been having um, really bad headaches. The club has been saying so he's missed a lot of footy, and they're, okay. they're just working on what's what's happening. Spe- special mention too. Special mention uh, the lunchtime catch up podcast. Special mention to uh, the Guelph. Iron Iceman. Oh yeah, what a mate! He's seriously good. He's really improving. That mark was impressive. Dude's got some hops and all. Like he's <laughs> he's jumping all over the shop. But for a kid yeah. who's okay, he's had a little yeah. bit more experience than your average rookie. Do you know why he played well? Why? We all know what happened like, during the week, right? The announcement of Top Gun. Oh, <laughs> exactly right. Top Gun sequel, is and he he's have, he's up and about. I was going to say, is the Iceman is. Is he going to have to have time off to go and film? He the could thing audition for that. He could be a young Val Kilmer. If they do like a prequel to it, he no, could play Val Kilmer. He could play, yeah, yeah. If there's a... Nice. <laughs> if he doesn't go out... There's a Rogue One of Top Gun. He could be... <laughs> if, if that man doesn't go out after Five Style in like a bomber jacket yeah. and on a motorbike, then seriously, you're doing yourself an injustice, Maddie. Get out there in your Top Gun bomber jacket yeah. and your uh, Ray-Ban aviators. And just call yourself Iceman. You will carve a sway. No, I was talking to my sister yesterday and, and um, her, her daughter was there and she's, I think, 16. Oh, excuse me, Jess, if I'm wrong. And I said, oh, who do you like? And I saw it in her face. She goes, oh, Matt Guelph. <sighs> and I said, why? And she just went, that gave that smile of like, okay, I know why. He's very, very pretty is, uh, is our mate. All right, we'll get on to Ron Connolly. 
Thanks everyone, and let's get Rowan on the line. And we welcome onto the line Rowan Connolly. How are you, Rowan? Yeah, not bad, guys. Uh, rather be talking to you after an Essendon victory, obviously. That's uh, <laughs> not to be. Seems I think it's the second time I've been on, isn't it? But I think last time the mood was suitably gloomy as well. So uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we promise I'll we'll do my win. best to be positive. Yeah, if we win three in a row, I'll quickly give you a call. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, please do. <laughs> be great. Look, I was having a think today, and obviously with the Geelong game and the GWS. I don't know if this is me being a little bit naive or just biased, but I thought, look, if we can, if we can at least win up in Brisbane, at least Worsfold can have the, I guess, the story to tell the players. Okay, well, let's have a look at the last month compared to the previous one. We've won two interstate. We've won three games, two against probably uh, of decent quality. Let's start at least believing a little bit that we are turning things around, I guess, to face the second half of the season. Is that me being a little bit over-optimistic, or is that that's how I kind of feel like the approach may need to be? Oh, no, I, I think that's fair enough. I mean, gee, when you compare it to the previous month, it's certainly a lot more positive outlook than that, isn't it? Um, and, you know, I mean, the Geelong and GWS wins were both full of merit. You know, yeah. they, they, they bought sufficient pressure to the table and I thought they worked very hard without the ball which I think has often been a a bit of an issue issue and uh things clicked um I guess I I looked on Saturday night against Richmond as a real reality check you know I think if people had uh and and you know to be honest I think as much externally as internally you know I think people seem to be thinking oh well here we go here's the the, the real Essendon about to stand up. But um, to me, that uh, was a bit of a rude awakening in terms of, I think, the gap between, you know, where the Bombers are now and where the, the very best in the competition are. And, and look, having said that, I reckon Richmond would have beaten anyone on Saturday night. I mean, they... They're very good. Hat, hat, hats off to them, you know. Like, yeah. I mean, he, that, they are a team who... A bit over 12 months ago, maybe 18 months ago, you know, no one seriously rated and, and they've just found incredible improvement from within and that's got as much to do with um, attitude and, and commitment and work ethic as talent and yeah. uh, they've created a real template for how um, how successful finals football needs to be played and, uh, you know, they've done it brilliantly. So I must, that's off to yeah, them. I must admit... Uh, when I, the game was going on, uh, myself and Grant were just we're at the bottom of the third level at the G because we like to sort of strategically, strategically like to see how things play out. And I was saying to Grant, I said this team is got complete buy-in drilled on on what Hardwick is selling. Uh, yeah. they, they are extremely drilled. The pressure they put on us. If you had to actually look at the stats and saw Stoppages Essendon winning thirty to sixteen. Clearances winning forty three to twenty nine, you would actually be pretty happy if someone told you that before the game, going, "Well, okay, the midfield's on," and it's quite a, a weird anomaly those kind of statistics, considering how it all played out. You would have, you could have sworn our midfield was struggling a bit, but then I guess this is something I wanted to ask you: our forwards have this strange ability to go so high up the ground that you have moments where. Stringer, who who got nine clearances himself, is kind of bursting out of a pack and then zero to kick to. 
Yeah, yeah, no, it was um, not to mention coming out of defence too, I guess most notably when um, Curley got that ball exactly. and, and got tackled and ended up in a goal for Caddy. And, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I, I was having a look at the stats earlier today and they've you know broken even for disposals. They won the clearances handsomely. They broke even for contest the ball, you know, almost had as many inside 50s, but yeah. um, I, I was actually sitting in the crowd myself. Up, I've had some reserve seats at the G ever since uh, they moved there in 92, so they're up on the um, second deck of the Southern Stand. It do, does give you a decent um, yeah. view yeah, in terms of positioning. That. And, um, you know, they, they just, Richmond just had a wall, basically, behind the ball, and the amount of times this and just kicked into it and I guess like you're saying the forwards getting out of position you know it's all about I guess it's, I mean you know it's hard to it's hard to say this authoritatively when you're not there watching the training drills and stuff but um, it, it, they look to me Richmond look like a side that is just drilled to within an inch of their lives and they all know exactly where to go and mm-hmm. when to when to get off their men and when to come back and defend and and I guess, you know, if you have a bit of success with that too, it's sort of, it prompts more of a buy-in, you know, whereas I guess with Essendon, you know, if the results are a bit more sporadic, um, maybe even at a subconscious level, you know, guys are not necessarily totally convinced and maybe also don't necessarily have 100% faith in their teammates. Um, yeah, and- I, think, I think you're right there. And look, I mean, if you're looking for encouragement, again, you know, I'd sort of take you back 18 months. And I reckon, you know, 99% of people at the end of 2016 would have looked at that Richmond list and said, that's not a premiership list. Yeah. That 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 list could not win a premiership. And, um, and you'd probably compare it with Essendon's now and yeah. say, you know, they're about the same, if not the Essendon list being a bit better. But... So, I mean, it's sort of in one way, in a glass half full sense, and I'm trying desperately to be positive here. It's <laughs> yeah. it's a good um, it's a good sort of example, I suppose, that you know you don't necessarily need the absolute cream of the crop if you can get a 100% team ethic and team effort happening. And yep. uh, I'm not sure that's the case with the Bombers right at the moment. I must admit, I mean, I was talking to um, uh, someone online today and they're, and they're discussing like, well, Richmond's had a, had it different. They've had many years under hard work. They've been able to build this list and pressure. And I actually a little bit disagreed. I went, you know what? I kind of read it as Harwick actually just swallowing a bit of pride and saying, actually, everything I've done previously <laughs> hasn't worked. So we've got to change it up. You guys, what's your strengths? Um, and he kind of had that more approach of identifying what the players' strengths were, um, more embracing that, and then setting up a game style around that. And that's it's almost been an instant buy-in. I mean, um, yeah, no, I think that's that's exactly what they did. And if and I highly recommend this book, Yellow and Black, um, by Conrad Marshall, about a year inside the club. It is quite seriously the best footy book I've ever read. And if you want a real insight into how a an AFL club ticks, that'll give it to you. But what you're saying is absolutely confirmed in the book. I mean, you go back to the way they were playing footy in 2016 and it was, you know, it was a real uncontested sort of safety first brand, shipping it around the half-back line. 
And I think um, they, they did. They made a conscious decision to embrace the positive rather than dwell on the negative. And that involved backing their players to be able to win contests. And, yeah. um, you know, apart from anything else, they played a much more direct brand and a much more contest-driven brand last year. And, and the players got success with it. And I think, I think that's a, a good motivator for the players too because – you know, these are guys playing at the elite level. They want to compete. They want to pit themselves against opposition. They want to yep. win contests. And, you know, um, that's not to say Essendon avoids the contests, but, you know, there there are sort of some similarities between the way Essendon plays at the moment when it's under pressure and the way the Tigers were playing two years ago. But Naran, I've, I've got a, a question, and be as blunt as you can possibly be on this subject. Um, Wusha came out after the uh, in the press conference and said, so I think somebody asked him the question of why are the forwards up so far, and it's sort of a, a affecting um, the structures and the like. And he, he came out, he said he a bit of a wish-washy answer, and he said, I think it's it's something to do with the forwards' um, confidence in the midfield's ability to win the ball. I don't get it, and I don't understand that statement because for the previous two weeks, our midfield has been incredible. We've we've had guys in thirty plus possessions. We've won two games through effort, and with those structures up forward, um, we've been able to kick goals. Now, why would suddenly, when we are winning, that we were winning in the midfield against Richmond, why do you think? the McKernans and the Stewarts of the world would make a decision like this? Because surely John isn't coaching that. Uh, Look, it's a good question. You know, I mean, it all goes to connection between the three zones of the ground, doesn't it? But I, I, um, it really struck me in, in both the Geelong and GWS games that the, the work rate, defensive work rate of the midfielders working back deep into defence not only took pressure off the actual defensive six, but it enabled both uh, McKenna and Saad to play far more attacking games and to become almost de facto midfielders. Now, yep. if they end up with the ball in their hands streaming through midfield and then kick it, you know, 40, 50 metres, then the forwards can play deeper. But that wasn't happening against the Tigers, and I guess that had a lot to do with that wall that Richmond set up outside their forward 50 and Essendon basically got hemmed in there and couldn't sort of break through and and you'll notice I mean I thought Sard's game was pretty good he really tried very hard to break the lines absolutely um but I think you know it didn't happen very often and I I, I suppose and it's probably a flaw in the forwards games I I I hazard a guess but the you know the less that that's happening the more the forwards are going to sort of creep further and further up the ground trying to get a touch. So, I mean, that's my backroom coach's spin on it. But, um, <laughs> yep. you know, like they they have access to footage and, and the sort of numbers that, that we don't hear. So I'm just, I'm just sort of, um, what's the word, shooting the breeze, I suppose. But, yep. you know, I, I think I think there have been real issues with how the, the forward the forward group and the midfield group and the defensive group connect. And, um, you know, at a fundamental level, that's that's what it's all about. It's getting that connection between the three areas of the ground. So the ball movement is seamless, and that's been a real issue. You'll remember Busher came out after the Fremantle game and said that uh, they were playing too quickly and that the forwards 
didn't have enough time to work back into position. And that, I felt, led to an overcorrection. Uh, an overcorrection. And then the ball movement became like treacle. Yeah. And, then, um, and that was sort of fixed up to a degree in the Geelong and GWS games. But I think it was fixed up um, by the defenders working harder defensively and getting back into that back six and, like I said, allowing the running half-backs to become de facto midfielders. But, you know, look, you can talk structures and you can talk positioning. To me, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a deeper fundamental issue here which goes to personnel. And, you know, I'm, I'm, without remembering exactly what I said to you last time we spoke, I'm tipping, yeah, I bet my bottom dollar I said something to the effect of the midfield still isn't deep enough yeah. or good enough. And I still think that's the case, unfortunately. No, and look, I was even thinking today, the irony is, in the last sort of two, three weeks, I mean, there was talk about, you know, our three big um, S's traded in, Saab, <coughs> Stringer. Yeah. In all honesty, they're the ones actually giving us a bit of hope. Uh, it, it's, actually yeah. been, it's actually been seasoned players and, and, and guys who've been around for a while that actually haven't showed up that much this year. I mean, I, I would say Stringer's um, game... And, and understanding his disposal wasn't always on song, and that's probably a little bit to our structures as well. Because he was under but pressure every time he touched it. I thought that's the most encouraging game. I've ne- I've almost seen him play in the AFL. As far as fitness, he made 16 contested possessions, 9 clearances, 29 disposals. He hasn't played a game like that. No, no, I agree. I, I thought he was very good, and I think um, you know most people would agree if they had the best and fairest now. I think Devin Smith would win it by street, um, <laughs> and I think Saad has been pretty good value as well. What what I would say though, and it's not their fault, is that Smith aside, the other two, you've got one who essentially has been a, a forward flanker trying to become a midfielder, and the other one is a creative defensive runner who, um, you know, who's sort of cream. So in a way, Stringer and Saad have been cream on the cake. And and don't get me wrong, I I think they've both been really good. But I I do sort of wonder whether, you know, should have they, you know, and it's a question of who's available too, but would they have been better off, you know, sort of trying to, you know, drill down strictly on midfielders and get, you know, two, two other pure sort of genuine mids to support Smith because I, you know, I still don't think that that midfield group is deep enough or at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not sure it's it's quite good enough. And it's, look, you know, there, there are good signs. I, I really like um, what Langford's done the last three weeks. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I think that's, I think that's one sort of, um, strategy that's going to pay off you know i think laverde has shown uh, glimpses not nearly as much as as langford um you know and there's we've seen clark make his debut and, and we Gwel- haven't seen Gwelfie, Cl- yeah yeah, yeah guelphy has been really good but mm-hmm. but again um you know where does he end up like he seemed to be playing more of a defensive role on saturday night and i, I just uh yeah you look at the best sides in the comp and, you know, Richmond probably don't have as many midfielders as other sides, but they have got uh, Cochin and Martin, which is a pretty good start, you know. And <laughs> yeah. um, I'm not I'm not sure the Bombers have either that I, quality or, in the case of other sides, the same numbers. Yeah, especially with the physicality too. 
of a Martin and a, and a Cochin and even guys like Caddy up forward. They, they, they have a certain physicality about them too. That's just why I kind of always thought an Ollie Wines might be a, a, a kind of a yeah. fit. <laughs> well, I can I can tell you, I um, I went to China recently and I went to the game in Shanghai and I actually sat with Ollie Wines' mum, Jane, who's uh, a lovely woman. And here's the heartbreaking thing. Her um, other son, Harry, who was at the game, mad Essendon supporter. Oh, uh, so... Um, oh. I did. Uh, I did do my best there to interest him in a move. Can, his son, move, can his son play? Can, can uh, the young brother play? <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess it's in the genes, but uh, unfortunately, I don't. I don't think Ollie's going to be on the trade table. So, no. um, yeah. But it. yeah, they could. They could use him, and they could use a few like him. I reckon. Now, speaking of uh, of bigger bodies, um, a player that we've sort of we've almost forgotten about down at Essendon. Um, he's. Uh, He's been unavailable for a while for just for personal reasons and the like, but in the last sort of five weeks has pretty much had five top three finishes in the best on ground, and that's Aaron Francis. Um, yep. Do you know much about Aaron, and what, what do you think are his chances of, of potentially um, Mr. Ridley looked, he's had a couple of good games, and he's, yeah. he looks like there's a bit of a player there, but it might be, might be a bit tired, might be a bit sore. Do we think there's a spot for uh, for Mr. Francis to come in and, uh, and take a few marks across half-back? Oh, absolutely. Look, I mean, there'll be people, um, I'm sure there'll be people listening to this who probably watch the VFL far more closely than I do, and, and it's not through yeah. lack of desire, it's just time, unfortunately. Literally time, yeah, I've, can I've, I've got to try and watch as many AFL games as I can every weekend. But look, everything I've seen of Francis, in fact, even the the senior games that he's played thus far, and we're going back a while now, but yeah. I, I remember at the time he played, uh, pretty sure he played Freo in Perth, and I think he got dropped after that game, and I, I remember thinking, I, you know, that was a bit premature because he'd shown some glimpses even then. I mean, obviously, conditioning has been an issue for him, but yeah. um, I saw a I saw a highlights package out of the, the last, sorry, not last weekend, the weekend before's, Reserves we, we saw it as he, well, yep. Yeah, yeah, he looked uh, he looked terrific. So, look, I reckon where they're at now, um, and this does ring a bell. I think we had this discussion after the finals last year. I, I just think, you know, like it's going to be an uphill battle for them to make the eight. I, I think the odds are very much against it. And if they do make the eight, it's pretty hard to see them progressing far. I, I'd yeah, be more yeah. interested in them trying to. Yeah pump as many games into some of these guys as possible. And Francis, you know, anyone who's watched him for five minutes can tell the amount of natural talent he has, surely. Well, I, and, you yeah. know, you want to get him in as quickly as you can. I had a chat to Paul Cousins, the VFL president. Um, and obviously the, the VFL played about an hour before the Dreamtime game started. So they're, they're almost playing at the same time. So I had a chat to him and he, he said, look, I had Aaron as the second best on ground. Um, he said he had Mason Redmond as probably BOG. Um, yeah. And both of those two players, interestingly enough, have had an amazing month. Like if you've had the top five players, they've both been in consistently for about four or five weeks straight. So even even a, even a Mason Redmond, that, and they've moved Mason as a big body mid to a big bodied mid. And it's yeah. and they're quite happy with how he's progressing. So there is there is players there of of talent. Now, I think Aaron's obviously the most obvious of talent. Of course. But the key thing is, you know, when I asked Paul how is he actually running later in the games, he said that's the highlight. He's closing out games really well. He's running just as hard. He's doing his most kilometers. So that's 
that to me is the key where he's probably ready to go now. Yeah, look, I yeah, and and I like I said, I, I just think they've got to get more of these guys in into the mix and give them some continuity as well. And that's been one of my um, frustrations, I think, watching Langford, Langford both yeah. this year, <laughs> this year yep. and last, um, yep. is that lack of continuity. And I remember he got dropped after the Brisbane game last year, which you know was a, a pretty bad loss. But funnily enough, I remember sitting there that day and thinking, you know. I, I don't reckon he's been too bad, and I was staggered when he was dropped. So I'd like to see them. And, yeah, you can tell with Langford that he is a bit of a confidence player. You know, just bring yeah. these guys in and say, we're going to give you four or five games, you know. Like, don't don't panic about whether you're going to get picked week to week. We will give you a block of five or six games. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing that I think is a bit of an issue, I, I'm not sure that Essendon has – the same amount of positional flexibility with enough players as other sides do now. And mm-hmm. what I'm getting at there is, you know, like you, you don't want a side full of big body midfielders. You want balance with some with some genuine speed and, and ball-carrying ability too. And to that end, I mean, obviously not having Travis Collier, I think, has hurt. But I'd like to see the likes of Fantasia and, and Tipper spend more time on the ball than they do just to, to try to give them a few more, uh, I guess, options to go through that midfield and, and options in terms of changing the course of a game when it's going against yeah. them. Because one thing that strikes me a bit too at the moment is that when things start going awry, I'm not sure there's a lot left in the um, in the kit bag. And it's interesting you say that. I'd really like to see... One thing I don't think we've done particularly well, which we have the the assets to do, is a small forward line. Like, yeah. we've got McKernan, we've got Stewart, we've got some tall timber down there, and that's great. But, I don't know, let's just have Orazio, Waller... Mm-hmm. Um, you can chuck Langford down there for a bit of marking power and that sort of stuff. But if change something up, put um, yeah. put McKernan on the bench for a minute, leave Belly in the ruck, and have Orazio leading out a full forward, and have Wallow at his feet, and something something a bit different. I appreciate that Jimmy Stewart's been great for us and he's done really well, but that might be interesting to to see a smaller forward line, see if that sort of causes some problems. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, and and look, I I. I like what Stuart's done. I mean, I, I, I know you're sort of not saying this deliberately, but has he been great? I wouldn't say no. He's, he's no, been no. okay. Serviceable. You know, he's, <laughs> yeah. he, well, and again, and again, you know, without wanting to be Mr. Doom and Gloom, I mean, <laughs> Essendon does tend to have um, players who can pull out a good performance and then not play well for a couple of weeks and then pull out a good yeah, performance great. and not play well for a couple of weeks. And I, I think that's that. Also, yeah. not just this year, but previous years, has been an issue. And, that, and that's why I think Smith has stood out so much this season, that he's been really good sort of week to week. And I, I think Essendon desperately needs a bit more of that from a few more players on the list. I agree. Now, um, he was just saying that the midfield, um, we're, we're still not completely up to scratch. I mean, we've got an A-grader there in Zach. We've got Dyson uh, Heppel, who... Um, I think we've just lost Rowan, and he's going to call back. Okay, hang on. Just let, let, let it go. We'll, we'll just answer the phone again. Hello, Rowan. 
Oh, don't know what happened there. Sorry. I don't know what happened. <laughs> That's live podcasting for you. We just kept that rolling. So back to my question. We've, we've got a couple of, sort of, like you said, we've got Zach as, a, as an A-grade midfielder. We've got Dyson Heppel's not too bad. Zach is okay, but he's getting old. And Devin's running through there and it's looking good. Do you have any inside mail on people that Essendon might be looking at or that might be gettable from other... Should look at. That should look at. I mean, I'd, I read on the net um, that Essendon have said that they're going to be very active in the trade period again. Yeah. Have you heard any sort of insight about anybody that might be available? Oh, to be perfectly honest, no, not really. Okay. Um, it's, it's something I tend to... Uh, look, I'm, I'm not huge on the trade speculation yeah. as a rule, um, and I'd like to. I like leaving it sort of beyond the halfway mark of the season because if you if you're thinking about it in early yeah. June, it's sort of yeah. not a good sign of how good, the season's good question, going. Grant. Really, good question. <laughs> no, no, it's a perfectly valid question, and I'm I'm sure a lot of people will be interested to know. And uh, look, right off the top of my head, I'm I can't even sort of think necessarily of any obvious free agency targets or guys whose contracts are coming up yeah, i do but... like quite quite honestly i do the papers are so chock full of that stuff now i yeah. do tend to my eyes glaze over a bit with it to be perfectly honest no. i mean we we raised small forests to pay for the newsprint to uh cover all the dusty martin speculation and he ended up at the club he was at so uh, you know um put it this way I, I i think they'd be very remiss not to be working very hard to get more mids onto that list. So uh, I'll be as interested as everyone else. Well, there's always strong rumours. I haven't even heard this from fairly good people, uh, even last year that we've been into into Gaff and, and, and this year as well. But oh, I, everyone's into Gaff. But everyone's into him. But I, I still would be surprised. I don't know about you. It just doesn't feel like, do we need Zach Merritt 2.0 or do we need Crips? 1.0 like, yeah. <laughs> like um, you... oh no look I, I think Gaff is a uh, you know and he's he's been good for a while but I, I think he's gone up another cog again in fact I um, just trying to remember who did they play oh the Hawthorne game last week he's winning without having seen his numbers I'd be staggered if he wasn't winning a lot more contested ball than he was yeah. a couple of years ago so he's turned himself from a, a strictly a, an outside sort of wing type to a guy that can play inside as well and he's had to because of the retirements of Mitchell and Prittis and um, no he'd be, he's a gun and I'd, yeah. I'd be wrapped to get him. Hey we'll just wrap things up because uh, I know you've um, we've taken you for a heck of a long time. Just a quick no, one. No it's alright I'm actually, uh, you know what I'm doing I'm actually going through my iTunes through my collection of about 5,000 songs trying to work out my all-time top 10 songs for another podcast I'm doing. Wow. Is I've, there, spent is... about, uh, I've spent about three, <laughs> oh, I've spent about, literally spent about two weeks on this and I'm still, I'm still <laughs> only up to the letter T. So uh, I've got a fair oh, bit wow. of work to do. Is there a, yeah. if I know you well enough, is there a know your enemy or anything like that close by or is it? Uh, you can safely say there will be a Rage Against the Machine <laughs> song in there. But it's, uh, it's a very, I recommend everyone do this actually if you're into music because uh, some of the songs in there, aren't necessarily by my favourite bands, but they're just great songs. And um, including, uh, I just uh, rediscovered the very first rock song I ever heard, and I think that's going to be in my top ten. Wow. I probably, I better not tell you what it is because it'll give you a, a clue as to my age, and it's uh, it's a long, <laughs> long time ago, let me tell you. <laughs> well, mate, I mean, I, the very first, I remember the very first song that I ever bought with my own money 
and and get this was an LP, and uh, this is reasonably embarrassing, but that's okay. Shaken Stevens. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> this shaky. old house by Shaken yeah. Stevens. And baby. I remember Shaky. Um, Molly Molly used to have Shaky on countdown about every second week. Yeah, uh, yeah. I reckon we're talking about circa yeah. 1981, 82. That's about something like right. That. That's about right. Yeah. Yeah, no, well, I, I will, I will uh, let you know. I've just uh, dug up Masters Apprentices' Turn Up Your Radio. That was the very first rock yes. song I ever heard. Came out in 1970, and I was five years old. Wow. So we, we're, look, we're not that we're not too far away from your age. So we remember the Brashes days, going into Brashes <laughs> yeah. buying the uh, the, yeah, the record maybe. singles. It was always like the top, two, and I was used to, you know, it was, for me back then, it was I was more of a Van Halen kind of like a, I was a bit of a it's yeah. a Scotty's hit picks. Like, yeah, yeah. For, for as long as I've known Scotty, uh, my musical yeah, br- taste. Brash, to... br- yeah, Brashes and Allens. It was like Allens. Humor and Adidas. You know, yeah, yeah. Two, nice. Two yeah. rivals in every bit of merchandise. Yeah. Beautiful. But, but I, I always, I'm, I, I always feel like I admire your music taste every time you mention something. Like because me, like at the drive-in, uh, Rage Against the Machine. That's all up my alley. So. Um, yeah. Well, I can say, see, you, you mention it, and I know we're supposed to be talking footy, but <laughs> at, the, at the drive-in relationship of command is definitely in my top ten albums of all time. Yep. Absolute. Right. Same with me. In, in fact, there is not a single dud song on that album. It absolutely rocks from start to finish. No, there is a there yeah. is a music podcast here I'm seeing with Connolly and McNeese. <laughs> I can see that happening. Well, well seeing, seeing you've got me on, I might as well plug the one I'm involved with, which is called Rock and Roll with yep. um, Kevin Hillier and Brian Mannix from oh, Uncanny oh, X-Men. Very nice. Who are we going to ask and, you? Where, uh, where can people find you? Well, they can find me there. Um, we're recording that one on Wednesday this week. You uh, can find me at uh, footyology.com.au where I sort of do all my writing. Um, I do a footyology tv show with mark fine which is up on facebook and on the site and we do an audio podcast on thursdays um uh, so on sen a bit i do the wash up post game friday nights um i do some writing for sporting news australia i do wow. a wrap, wrap up for the new daily and i do a game preview <laughs> Um, and interviews for the Essendon Footy Club. Oh, so and I'm on. So I'm you on don't Mark sleep. Footy show as well. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually I'm actually about twice as busy as I was when I worked at the age. So, yeah, clearly. So any, anyone who ever says to me uh, how are you enjoying semi retirement just gets an instant punch on the nose. Because, <laughs> oh, working uh, for yourself or whatever. Yeah, I, 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 I'm busier than I've ever been in my life. I can tell you. Before I let you go, can I ask? Sing, sing, you've got my mind going now. If you're talking top ten albums of all time. Can I ask, is Nevermind in there? Oh, um, <laughs> probably, the, yeah, probably, you know what it's like. You sort of, you, you, you have phases with different bands. Um, yeah. Geez, it'd be close. It'd be really close. It'd have to be. Um, but I'd, I'd definitely, my number one would be uh, Rage Against the Machine, self-titled. I yeah. mean, that's just a, that is just a genre-defining album. There's never been a band that sounded like them before or since, and, um, yeah, that is, uh, you know, if I had to have one album to play till the end of time and that was on the only loop. thing I'd play on a <laughs> yeah. loop, it would be that one. And yes, I'd be deaf within about three weeks, but uh, it'd be a very pleasant way to go deaf. So what what actually happened to them? I, I don't actually know the story about 
the the singer leaving and and what <clears throat> obviously you see the um oh, I'm gonna kill me with his name the guitarist he helping out Tom Spring, Morello yeah to, yeah helping out Springsteen and being on Bill yep. Maher talk shows <laughs> yep. but uh it, what oh so, they're they're all very politically active well Zach yep. De La Rocca basically left the band to go and pursue a career in political activism um very involved with the Zapatistas in Mexico so wow. um, you know. Yeah, they, they don't just do it lip service. They actually uh, they practice what they preach. Yeah, yep. um, and the other guys have uh, actually sort of reformed, basically, with the former lead singers of um, Public Enemy and Cypress Hill in Prophets of Rage. And oh, that's right, out, that's right, yes. Yeah, wow. they put out an album late last year, which is pretty good. It's not... Uh, it's it's not the real thing, but it's not a bad yeah. substitute. So, um, yeah, look, it's uh, they're all still active in various ways. Well, a small uh, tangent there with you, Rowan, but thanks very much. Yeah, sorry, that, that is totally my fault. So <laughs> no, 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 mate, no problems at all. Apologies to anyone who's listening. Who's <laughs> no not problems at all. No, I love it. So, look, it's right up my alley, so I'm, I'm enjoying myself. Absolutely. So, look, thanks so much for calling. Um We'd love to have you on again when we've won. Yeah, let's, let's do this uh, when we win one. We're, we're yeah, win. yeah, do, do, do us a favour. No, happy to do it. Just do me a favour and, yeah, next time, can it be after a win, please? Like yeah. A nice little 10-goal win. And look, I promise next time you're on, you're going to come in with your top 10 albums. I'm going to come with my top 10 albums Ooh. and we're going to have a 15-minute discussion on <laughs> on, on who's on who's wrong and, or who's... Well, this can't be wrong with music. What you like is what you like. That but is uh, way above yeah. my pay grade. I'll leave that to you two, Blake. <laughs> no, no problem at all. All right. Thanks so much, Rowan. And um, no doubt, i uh, love to see your articles as always. And um, all the best, mate. Okay. Cheers, guys. Thank you, Rowan. Thanks, Rowan. Rowan's the kind of guy I think I can just talk to for a long, long time. My Absolutely. two passions of, of music and sport and Essendon. Uh, so, look, uh, oh, I haven't heard any rumours about Sponsor of the Week and I think I'm quite relieved and excited that you've got nothing to bring to the table. I'm pretty confident that's right. Actually, no, Scotty, I've got something. I've got Please something. Please tell me I was right. No, 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 no. See, you're right on the no sponsor thing. Um, don't have a sponsor this week. Uh, but what I do have this week is actually a really great movie that's going to be coming out very soon. Um, I, I found this movie. I think everybody should uh, should watch it when it comes out. I've got the trailer for it. Do you want to play it? I don't, but it'll I'm be going, great. I'm going to assume love as your fifty percent stakeholder that I'm going to be forced to play this. Contractually obliged. <laughs> Damn it! All right, I shall play the trailer. Please spare me, God. <laughs> Round 11, one man, one contest, one bad acting performance. Critics are calling it the one of the best flops in AFL history. This winter, see Sean McKernan as the guy that didn't flop. See the umpire as the blind guy. Coming this September, Alex Rance stars in... The Dive. Pray he doesn't dive on you. And once again, I am left quite speechless at the suddenness of this trailer. But I applaud its message. And, Absolutely. 
And yes, you can put uh, you can you can just start the engraving now for best actor award. A Rance, um, put his name on the statue, suspend the betting. He's a dead set winner on that one. Well, we'll wrap this up now. We've just crossed over 60 minutes, so we've done a fair, fair lot tonight. In, in part because of a 25-minute discussion that we had on Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> yes, but personally, I love that. So, look, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, hopefully, it's a bit of an entertaining podcast. A little bit later than we would normally like, but... but um, yep, we couldn't get Rowan on to about nine because he's a very, very busy man. He's an so. extremely busy man. So, look, we can't thank him enough for yeah, coming on the show. Yeah, a massive thank you again to Rowan. Uh, thank you again to all the listeners. Our, obviously, our downloads, we keep saying it, it always it always humbles us. Blows us away. Uh, so, thank you so much. We're always trying to improve the show and, and get as good content as possible. So, hopefully, those kind of guests uh, in the last couple of weeks uh, have been really good and enlightening. Uh, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, please subscribe to all the shows. Um, you can subscribe to our channel on iTunes and on SoundCloud, and you can write to our Gmail email address, which, which is, is the lunchtime catchup uh, podcast at gmail.com or just send us a message via the Facebook page at the lunchtime catchup. Um, we've got a hundred and some odd members in there. Want to get it over that two hundred mark? Um, but yeah, just uh, if you've got any feedback for us or you want to see any guests or see if we can go after someone or um, or any sort of particular things you want to discuss on the podcast, just shoot us a message on the Facebook page. It's nice and simple. Exactly. All right. Thanks, you, everyone. Grant, you can start heading home all the way. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I'm like an hour's worth of drive on the way home. That's okay. It's for the craft. It's for the craft. It's for the, for the podcast. That's right. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. See you later.